This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, stackers, if you're in the Philadelphia area this weekend, we're coming to you. We are hosting, along with our friends Brad and Jonathan over at the Choose FI podcast, a little event we're calling Podtastrophe 2018. And it looks like we already have 70, over 70 people coming, which is exciting. Another 115 interested. That's wild. Uh, it's going to be at Yards Brewing Company, 500 Spring Garden Street in Philadelphia. And the reason we're coming to Philadelphia is because of a big podcasting conference called Podcast Movement. Terry Gross from NPR is going to be one of the featured speakers there. I'm so excited. Lots of fantastic voices in podcasting, meaning we've invited a bunch of our friends to join us. So you're also going to have the opportunity to meet our friend Rich from Paychecks and Balances, Eric from Personal Profitability Podcast, uh, Rocky from the Richer Soul Podcast, Gwen from the Fire Drill Podcast, we also have a Roger Whitney, the Retirement Answer Man, is going to join us. Andy Wang from Inspired Money will be there. We have some of our favorite bloggers who are coming. The Penningtons the, from the Two Cup House blog. And uh, Claudia appeared on Stacking Benjamins and was fantastic talking about downsizing her house. And I love that blog. And speaking of another blog I love, how about Lisa Harrison from the Mad Money Monster blog? She will be there. So many other bloggers, podcasters. I can't wait. And by the way, I might have, might have a special guest of my own from the Stacking Benjamins crew with me. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Here's where you go so that we make sure we have room. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Philly. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Philly. And let us know that you're going to be there. We've gotten a special room, but we want to make sure we've got enough room for everybody. Hope to see you Sunday night, 6 p.m. at Yards Brewing. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's a great day in the life of your financial announcer guy because today is Alexander the Great's birthday. I'm wearing my amazing commemorative t-shirt and, taking a cue from the brave Alexander, I'm ready to do my part to help you conquer your retirement fears because on today's show, we're debating early retirement bloggers. Should you reveal just how much income you're making off your I Retired Early blog, especially if you might be living on that money? Here to help us with that and answer a bloom call for help, we welcome from SensibleMoney.com, certified financial planner, Dana Onspach. 
And from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And finally, you know who's next. From this here podcast, OG. But that's not all. In our Friday FinTech segment, some cool new features have been added to one of our favorite financial tracking and budgeting tools, Tiller. We'll talk budgets and tracking your money with CEO Peter Polson. And now, the guy who disappears from the basement every time Joe's mom mentions laundry day, Joe Saul Cihai. I don't want to have to do the laundry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Friday on the show. And actually, it is laundry day here. And uh, I'm going to have... I'm going to have to stop avoiding it. But three people are here that I'm not avoiding. How's that for a bad transition? First of all, fresh off her awesome speech at the World Domination Summit, Miss Paula Pant from Afford Anything. I'm back. I have been gone for a month. I went to Atlanta and then Austin. Then I came back, camped out in the boonies of Nevada. Then I went to Yosemite. Then I went to Portland. I gave a keynote speech and then I came back last night. All those places and you never once stopped by my mom's basement to say hello. Whatever. I won't take it personally. I'll try not to. I know. Next big big trip, I'll drive out to Texarkana. We can go to the one restaurant in town. (laughs) And I will still sleep in the back of my car because, um, you know, mom's basement has got a lot of demand. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if, if you're saying that Doug hogs most of the blankets in the basement, yes, he does. But also joining us from this podcast, it's Mr. OG across the table from me here. How is it going, everyone? Fantastic. The, uh, microphone is uh, not working. I'm just going to have to yell into yours. <laughs> Perfect. What's new? Just another day in the basement. We'll get out the duct tape. And the woman duct taping this thing together. I can't believe she came back for more. We're so excited. The voice, the person behind SensibleMoney.com, Dana Spock. How are you? I'm doing great. And I have never been compared to duct tape before, but I like it. <laughs> we, we, we rely on you, Dana. A lot of clients rely on you too, right? Yes, they do. And duct tape is versatile. It sticks everything together. It's handy in any situation. It's perfect analogy. There it is. You're welcome. You can feel free to use that whenever you want. You won't have to quote me. But tell everybody what you do, where you're at for the three people that don't know, well, don't remember when you were here last time. Well, I was here in January and it was awesome. I'm happy to be back. I am the founder of Sensible Money. We are a fee-only registered investment advisory firm, and we focus on helping people transition into retirement. Awesome. Now, do you travel much? I travel a little. I was just in Venice Beach for the first time. What a crazy place. Oh, Paula, that wasn't on your list. That's true. I uh, So Venice Beach, California, is that where you were? Or were yeah. you in Venice? Ah, so, I've never, never been there. Wait, you have, have I? to... <laughs> Who are you asking? <laughs> Just, you know, yes. well, sometimes if I state questions out loud, my brain will answer them. Right. We're like, no, Paula, you haven't been. No. <laughs> I ask you that, Dana, because this episode of Stacky Benjamins is brought to you by Away. Away makes first class luggage at coach prices. That, that's such a bad transition that allow you to charge your phone on the go. You can travel and charge your phone on the go what everybody needs. Mind, mind blowing. For $20 off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB. Use promo code SB. That's awaytravel.com slash SB. Promo code SB. We're also brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, the average person just walks into a brick and mortar bank and says, what do you got? When it's as easy as going to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money 
to be able to look at over 92% of the financial products that are out there, checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, consolidation loans, you name it, they have it, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Well, we're going to mag, I don't know, I don't know where to go with that. We're going to magnify this podcast, OG. We're going to, there you go. We're going to, we're going to do something. We're going to do, we're going to money it. We're going to do something. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. And our headline today comes from our next life blog. This is a Plutus winning blog and our friend, Tanya Hester from Our Next Life, and also a podcaster as well. Tanya wrote this piece that I found very interesting and perfect for a roundtable discussion. What fire bloggers owe readers a blogging manifesto? And for people that don't know what fire is, it's financial independence retire early bloggers. Tanya writes, I love the financial independence early retirement blogging community fiercely, and I'm proud to be a part of what is unquestionably one of the most positive supported places on the internet. I didn't even really read FI blogs before we got started on our journey or before I started blogging for that matter, but I've still gotten so much from them and from the community of readers who comment and share thoughts too. She should just have a big, however, at that point, (laughs) but she says, for those of us interested in living a particular kind of unconventional life made possible by the subtraction of work, FI blogs serve a crucial purpose. And that crucial purpose is why it's so critical that we always tell the full story. And she goes on, guys, to talk about what fire bloggers owe readers, and it's her blogging manifesto. Let's just start there. Whether it's fire bloggers or bloggers in general, uh, uh, Dana, I know you've done some writing and, and some writing from your point of view. Paul, obviously, you blog. OG is a podcaster. We'll throw in podcasts. Do you owe your readers anything? Dana, You think? do you feel like you owe your readers something when you write? have mixed feelings about that. Early in my career, someone called me up and they said, do you sell municipal bonds? And I said, yes. And why are you asking? Well, they told me I need them. And I said, who? And she said, you know, the people on TV. And I just thought, what, you know, who reads the, the, whether it be a blog or something in a magazine and instantly assumes that all of that advice applies to them. There has to be some filtering from the reader's end. That's interesting because I remember when I first entered the blogging community after being a financial planner, one of the very first pieces I read was a respectable blogger asking the serious question, should you use gold as your emergency fund? And I'm like, well, hell no, you shouldn't. That's like exactly. the dumbest question of all time. And yet people are going to take that and and yeah. go. And for those of you that think that's a great idea, it's not. And I apologize for calling it the dumbest idea of all time, but it really isn't great. <laughs> it's, but, it's, it's close. Yeah. <laughs> Paula, you think you owe your, you, do you owe your readers anything? Yes. I think that if a blogger chooses to share personal information, then that blogger owes the readers the contextualized full picture. Now, what I mean by that is that you don't necessarily have to give, if you choose to divulge personal information, you don't necessarily have to give it to the level of granular detail that some readers demand, because some readers will expect that you give it down to dollars and cents, but precise dollars and cents. And I think that it's fine to give a range. But if you are going to give personal information, I think you do have to give the full context of the story. So for example, I do not think that it is okay to run around saying, oh, we reached early retirement because we were very frugal while leaving out the incredibly important detail, you and your spouse earned over $200,000 combined. Right. No. Well, it's funny, OG, you you and I have had discussions about this before. When a blogger, 
you know, you look at some fire bloggers, people that made huge incomes and decided to live half that income, which don't get me wrong, they worked hard to reach that, you know, either an engineer or a physician or whatever they are. But for somebody making $250,000 a year, it's a little different than your reader who's making 40. Mm-hmm. Well, it's different in terms of the savings rates and all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, once you have at different bend points in your financial life, things have different impacts, right? You can go out and spend $500 on a nice dinner. And for most everybody, that is crazy, crazy, crazy money. But for somebody that makes $2 million a year, it won't even it won't even register on the budget as a line item, you know? And so like what Paul said, I think contextual information is really important. And I think the other part of it too is when your business now has changed from being whatever your job was before. So you were, you know, a systems engineer and you decided to live on $1,500 a month and save $130,000 a year for 10 years. That's fantastic. But now you have a business that generates 400,000 a year of revenue, you know, from your Google ads or from your uh, podcasting ads or whatever the case may be. I don't think it's entirely fair that you call yourself retired. I mean, Joe, you and I both know, and Dana, you know, and Paul, you know, as well, running a blog and a podcast is just another job. It's not, it's not a part-time thing that you can count as not work. Now, the good thing is that it can be location independent, right? You need an internet connection that's tolerably stable. Looking at you, Paula, (laughs) and uh, you know, and a cell phone, which is helpful. So it helps you relocate and that sort of stuff. But I think it's kind of important to mention, you know, if your blog's pulling in $130,000 a year, I don't know that you should be telling everybody that you're retired and, you know, living on your million dollar portfolio, because that's probably not all the truth. There are three major early retirement models that Tanya presents here. Save enough for a mini retirement, save enough to semi-retire, and save enough to never work again. I want to just dive into these as kind of a Subchapter of what we're talking about here. Let's let's talk, Dana, to you about these. Save enough for a mini retirement. How many how many people do you work with that one of their goals is to take a mini retirement, maybe take a few years off and then come back? None, actually. But that's the nature of my practice. We work primarily with people 55 and older who are going for the option number three, save enough to never work again, what we call traditional retirement. And I think one of the challenges is people have different definitions of retirement. To some, retired is leaving their profession as an engineer or a physician or a lawyer. So they consider that retired because they're no longer doing what they went to school for. I don't think of that as retired. I agree with with OG and, and Paula. That's not retired. If you have other income and you're working at it, then you're not retired. Yeah. But does it really matter if the, if the writer's really not retired? Like if Mr. Money Mustache is working some hours on his blog, does that really matter if he's talking about being more frugal, about being more intentional with your money? I think the concepts are great. So no, it doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of being clear about the definitions. And in terms of the mini retirement, I think of that as sabbatical. I think, um, you know, saving enough to take a sabbatical is a great concept. I don't see a lot of people that have that as a goal or a line item in their financial plan. That's the thing, uh, Paula, Tanya brings up, bloggers often say everybody can do this. And I actually got a letter one time complaining about when we talk about this, she's like, no, I'm a nurse. I have a 40 hour job. If I tell the hospital that I can't work for the next two months because I'm taking the mini retirement, you guys spent 45 minutes talking about, I'm going to lose my job. 
Well, certainly everybody can do this, but not necessarily at the current job that you have or in the current profession that you have. I think that if you're willing to make a drastic career change or a drastic lifestyle change, everyone can do it. And certainly if you want a 50% savings rate and you make $40,000 a year, you can still do it, but it requires living out of the back of your car. It's doable, but it's just that the sacrifices that you have to make to get there are going to be a lot more extreme. Or it might require maybe not living in the West, going to Cambodia and working online while experiencing the cost of living of Phnom Penh, which is significantly lower than anywhere that you'll get inside of America. And we've seen so, some, and we've mm-hmm. seen some cool people, Paula, who have made those decisions. Who've said, you know what, I'm not going to work in the hospital anymore. I am going to move to, uh, well, the Philippines or to Thailand or wherever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I would absolutely disagree with the idea that a healthy adult is unable to do so. You are absolutely able to do so. It's just that some of the choices that you might have to make or some of the trade-offs that you have to might make might just be too extreme, so extreme that you wouldn't want to. But there's a difference between not wanting to versus not being able to. So you like reading fire blogs and then seeing kind of the push that fire blogs bring to people? The thing that pisses me off about fire blogs is that the vast majority of them underscore frugality as the path. That's, I think, incredibly disingenuous because when you've got somebody who earns six figures or who has a household income that is in the six-figure range and they're emphasizing frugality, they're kind of overlooking the fact that they make six figures. That's why you know, when I write about fire, I think a lot of people consider me a fire blogger. I very much emphasize the whole make six figures part of it. And I do agree that that's what fair bloggers owe their readers. I don't think that you necessarily have to disclose I make 150,000 versus 160,000 you know, versus 162,000, right? Like, I don't think it needs to be that level of detail. But I think if you can at least give a range, if you can say, hey, we made more than 100, but less than 200. Okay, fine. That's a wide enough range that it gives people an idea of where you are without being too granular. I do think that fire bloggers owe that to their readers. What if they don't say anything, but they don't, they stop emphasizing the thing that really is not what they're actually doing in their real life? What do you mean? I mean, they're not really being frugal at all themselves. They they still have money coming in hand over fist, and yet they write all the time about this lifestyle that they supposedly have that we know they, they might not have. Well, you can still have money coming in hand over fist and be frugal. One yeah, is I'm not, your income and the other is your spending. Yeah, but I'm not talking about mm-hmm. that. I'm not talking about, I get that. I'm yeah. saying I've seen bloggers before talk a lot about frugality and then, mm. and then I meet them and these people aren't living a they're frugal They're driving a Maserati. Yeah, they're not, they're not right. living a frugal lifestyle at all. Their online presence is something completely mm. different than what they're telling their readers. Right, right. That's a tricky subject because on one hand, in the way that you've described it, that's disingenuous. On the other hand, it, frugality is the type of topic where in which it's very easy to cherry pick. If I wanted to tell the story of how frugal I am, I could cherry pick a lot of true details about my life. For example, I live in a two-bedroom condo, and my shoe rack is made out of old cardboard. It's not even a piece of furniture. It's just cardboard taped together. So I can cherry pick those details and tell those to you, and I sound very frugal. On the other hand... Last September, I went to Nobu and I did have a $400 dinner. So if I wanted to give you examples of times that I've spent a lot of money, I can cherry pick those too. I think honesty requires the full picture. You know, it requires stating all of it. And and there's also a, an element of 
one person's frugal is another person's spendy. What might appear to be frugal from the perspective of someone who is used to a given style of living would appear to be very extravagant to another person. So I think there's that interpretive element as well that makes it even more difficult to be clear. Dana, you brought this up at the beginning of the discussion, and I want to circle back to it, that some of this is also on the reader. How does a reader kind of parse through what they should be taking from some of these blogs and what is baloney? I think just common sense. You have to put your common sense hat on and think, does this apply to me? Could I realistically adopt this lifestyle? I like the fire blogs for the the possibilities that they bring about. They open up some ideas that perhaps you didn't think of before. Um, on the flip side, I've often thought, I want to see a blog about a life well worked. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a, a life, lifelong career and you but save that a reasonable amount? But that doesn't sell as much. Like like having this job that you're going to love for the rest of your life, I think there's a lot of people out there that really want to buy. And and I don't know, does it have to do with the fact that so many people hate their jobs? I mean, is that- I think it does. Yeah. So how about helping people find jobs they love or find work they love or shifting the perspective, which is really what a blogger has done, right? If they've left a profession as a physician or whatever it might be, they have found a different type of work that they enjoy. They don't even consider it work. Yeah. That fits their lifestyle. Oh, gee, that seems to be totally, you're on that train, I think. Well, I think the biggest thing is with all of this stuff, for me, it's just not being so judgy about other people's behavior, right? Paula, you said this earlier, you know, what somebody considers wasteful spending is another person's, you know, complete enjoyment. And what one person thinks is retirement is another person's, you know, full work, you know, it's, it's a 40 hour job. And so I don't think that the work that you and I do, Joe, on this podcast is work, although it certainly takes way more time but I wouldn't call it work. It's something I really enjoy doing. Now, somebody else who is in the radio business who totally hates doing radio may be like, oh God, I hate this. It's like work all the time, you know? And it's just, you know, a little bit of it is to each his own. When it comes to planning for your own specific lifestyle choices, I just think you got to be okay with what you want to do, right? And some people want to work until they're 60 and retire, in the more traditional sense and say, I'm good. And then some people want to, you know, stop working when they're 40 and there's pros and cons to all of those things. And Paul, as you like to say, you can do anything you want. You just can't do everything you want. Right. So, so there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. I think we just have to agree that to each his own. And when it comes to planning for your financial independence time, it may be different for me and it may be different for you, but that doesn't make either of us wrong. You know, we're just, we're doing our stuff. So her first problem is, is that bloggers are often writing about never work again, but they're actually still making money. Her second problem is writers are ignoring, and I don't think this is just a a fire blog issue. Writers are ignoring the reality for many readers. Mm -hmm. And that's to be inclusive. We often have to act as though the things we say apply to everyone. And that's just not true. Looking at income breakdowns in the US, for example, many people simply cannot save for early retirement in 10 or 15 years without spending so little that it's below the poverty level, an impossible reality in the age of housing shortages, massive student debt, skyrocketing healthcare cost, and wage stagnation. But really, you know, when I read this, I thought this makes sense maybe to a fire blogger. But when you create your content, Paula, are you Mm -hmm. thinking about the reality of your reader and whether they can follow this path or not? When I write my content, I'm often writing advice to a younger version of myself. 
and I, I publicly disclosed this a couple of weeks ago. So in the year 2000, I think it was 2011, Will and I together had a combined income of $63,000, which is right around a little bit above the median U.S. household income, which I think is $53,000, right? So when I write, I write to the perspective of a couple who is earning at around the fifty dollars to $60,000 uh, household income level because I'm just giving advice to my former self. And, and I'm pretty clear about that on the blog. You know, I'm pretty clear about, hey, if you're making the median U.S. household income or above, then this stuff is for you. If you're not there yet, if you are making only 30000 a year and instead of 50 or 60, then the first thing you got to do is get yourself up to 50 or 60 because that $30,000 incremental difference is just a world of difference. And that's why I think it's so disingenuous when a lot of bloggers talk and talk and talk about frugality when raising your income from 30 k up to 60 k is life-changing. Yeah. How many times have you met with somebody, Dana, and said, you know, this is an income problem, not an expense problem? It has happened. And I love what Paula just said. I've counseled people, you need to focus on what certifications you can earn, how to further your career, how to change jobs. And I've watched people do it. It is amazing. And often that's a much easier path. At least I think it's a much easier path than trying to clip coupons for the win. Sometimes people just never thought of it. They thought, I'm stuck where I'm at. This is how much I'll make. How am I going to make this work? And someone suddenly gives them a new possibility. Well, you could go do this. You could look here. You could get this certification. You could find a way to go back to school. And all of a sudden, they see that they are not stuck. Yeah. Oh, gee, I'm sure you see the same thing. Well, it happens all the time, right? I mean, you get kind of pigeonholed into whatever you're doing, and your reality is kind of what's around you at that moment. And it takes you know, a third party sometimes to kind of shake you and say, well, there's so much other things you could be doing, whether it's a side type hustle that we hear a lot about, or something as simple as moving halfway across town and just working in the same industry, but at a different company. I've talked about how Mrs. OG was in a consulting role and I finally convinced her to apply at a different consulting company. She didn't want to, but she did. And she got a 30% pay raise for moving it was unbelievable. And then she hated it. So she begged to get her job back. She didn't really beg it, but she got her old job back and her boss said, why did you leave? Was it just the money? Cause I'd have given it to you if you had just asked. And it's like, could you imagine walking into your boss's office and saying, I know you're paying me 60, but I really think you should pay me 87, <laughs> you know, but that's what it took. It took her leaving to do that, to come back and be paid commensurate with, with the work that she was doing. And I think a lot of people underappreciate how a small transition like that or something like a certification would have an impact on their on their earnings. And there's no amount of cutting cable or coupons or whatever that's going to equal 30 grand of extra income every year. One of the biggest things I've heard from employers is their biggest pet peeve is when people leave without coming to their boss or their employer first and saying, I've been given another offer, but I'd prefer to stay. Can you match it? Oh, give them a chance. Give them a chance. Employers are frustrated when their people leave without giving them a chance. That's interesting. I'm going to leave this argument here. And by the way, we'll have this on our show notes because there's a lot we left out. Her entire manifesto, we didn't even get to, which is being transparent about whether you're testing your own plans, share the parameters of your own financial independence, acknowledge if you have a high income, tell readers if you're Mm -hmm. working, be clear around the limits of good intentions. But I think that if you've got one takeaway from this, Paula, we'll start with you. What's your big takeaway from Tanya's manifesto? 
so I read that manifesto several weeks ago and I, I love it. And I'd say the biggest takeaway for anybody who's a blogger is um, don't emphasize one aspect of your journey if there's a huge other component of it that you are leaving out of the story. And specifically, I'm thinking of particular instance in which a couple of bloggers emphasized frugality and did not mention the fact that one out of the two of them made over $200,000, which means that both of them combined probably made over 300000 Yeah. Uh, but if I'm a reader, so your, mm-hmm. your takeaways for bloggers, I want to hear what your takeaway is to a reader because most of our audience is not out there taking anything mm-hmm. from your takeaway. Jeez, I would say maybe stop reading blogs for a while and think critically about, I mean, seriously, this stuff can brainwash you. Think critically about your life and what the biggest ROI, what is it that you can do? What one thing can you do that's going to make the biggest difference? If you spend all your time reading blogs and the blogs are all saying, hey, you could like DIY install your own baseboards because you'll save the $25 an hour that you would have to pay a carpenter to put in baseboards and Man, saving I have 20 a funny story about this. Yeah, right. And they're like, well, you see, you know, you'll save $250 on the cost of this closet remodeling project. And yeah, that's true, but you're tripping over dollars to pick up dimes. And if you read all of these blogs of people who have their own perspectives and their own agendas, then you forget the bigger picture. And so maybe stop reading blogs and take a step back and think about the bigger picture. Okay. That, that right there is why I love Paula Pant. That is, <laughs> that is exactly why I thought that when I first started reading blogs, I'm like, I don't want to put together my own furniture. <laughs> I have no interest in that, but, but the rest of it, I love. And to Tanya's point, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I try to follow that Dana. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one to follow. I mean, I know I don't want to try to install my own baseboards. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say from the reader's perspective, it was interesting when Paula said she writes to a younger version of herself. I write to an older version of myself. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about that. And I think as a reader, you have to find the blogs that resonate with you. You have to be discriminating and use your common sense. If you read something and you feel this sense of, Ugh, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I just, is that what I have to do to make, you know, to have financial success? That's not the right blog for you. Yeah. You have to read something you resonate with. It makes you have energy. It inspires you. You think, yes, that is for me. Yeah. Listen to podcasts that teach you nothing. That's what, <laughs> that's what we espouse right here, right, OG? Well, I would say if it is something that you do connect with, you can expand from that. If that's something that is resonating with you or it's a message that you like to hear, then follow those breadcrumbs a little bit. For me, the biggest thing on the reader's aspect is you know, that little disclaimer that's on the bottom of just about every sort of blog that you ever see and every podcast that says, for entertainment purposes only, (laughs) right? So there's a thing that I follow on Instagram, a club, well, I used to follow it. And and it's just awe-inspiring, this place in Montana. And they have beautiful homes, you know, just world-class skiing. And it's just a great community. And then I started digging into it. And, you know, they list some of their popular residents, including like Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z. And I'm like, Okay, this is totally the place I want to be, but not entirely sure that this fits into the plan, right? And Dana, like you were saying, if you read something and it drives you crazy, when I see these pictures on Instagram, I get so frustrated that that will never be me. 
like I had to just get rid of it because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the greatest place in the world that I'll never get to experience mm-hmm. because it's just in a different league. Like I'm not spending $20 million on a house, even if I had it, you know, but, um, you have to be, like you said, selective, but ultimately when it comes to the advice component of it for entertainment purposes only. Upstairs talking to mom, our good friend Peter Polson from Tiller uh, budgeting app. Dana, it's funny. People always talk about budgeting and tracking for younger people, but you said you work with the older 55 crowd a lot. What about budgeting and tracking for them? It's important. You you have a fixed income usually, and you need to know what you're spending, how much is going out, and everyone does that differently. Some people like the very detailed putting everything in categories. That doesn't work for me. I like big picture. I put everything on a credit card. I know my limit. I track it. I log in and look. And when I get close to that limit, that's it. You know, if I'm close to the end of the month, any extra spending gets deferred to the following month. So I think you have to find something that works for you. If you like the granular detail, go for a budgeting tool that that helps you get there. If you don't, find something simpler. I love the range of new apps that are coming out. And of course, one of them, our friends at Tiller. Tiller's made some big changes lately. And I invited Peter down to the basement to talk, number one, about this budgeting app and number two about how they've uh, improved the products. Let's say hello to Peter Polson. And coming down the stairs to the basement, Peter, how are you, man? I am good. It's always good to be in the basement. Thank you, Joe. Well, I'm so happy that you're here, but you guys have had significant things happen at Tiller, but I don't want to get to that first because some people missed our Facebook Live a few weeks ago, and they have no How idea. I know. What's up with that, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, but tell the four people that don't even know what Tiller is exactly what you guys do. Great. Tiller is the only platform that feeds your data into a spreadsheet, so you can manage your finances with incredible control and automation. It's really it's the most powerful way to, to budget in a spreadsheet. Link any of your accounts, credit card checking, mortgage, brokerage, Tie it in. We'll pull in those transactions and balances from all those accounts and feed it into your spreadsheet and keep it updated every day. And you can make your own spreadsheet or you guys have a bunch of templates out there. That's right. We have templates to um, around tracking your money, templates around budgeting, templates around building a balance sheet to monitor your net worth, templates around getting out of debt. So if there's a template you want, we have a bunch but also it's a spreadsheet. Today we're built on Google Sheets. We're adding support for Excel as we speak. We have our first beta users live with Excel, but you can do whatever you want in that spreadsheet because it is a fully functional spreadsheet. And that's the magic of Tiller is you can build out the reports and analysis you want. It's for people, for anyone who's ever found themselves going to a spreadsheet in their life when they want to figure out a riddle, they're planning a wedding, they're wondering if they can buy that house, they're thinking about how they're going to save for retirement. They're curious how much money they have or owe. If they've ever opened a spreadsheet and pulled a few numbers together to figure that out, or if they're using a spreadsheet today to track everything, any of those customers, any of those people, if they come to Tiller, they'll find something that's really exciting. For people that have never heard of Tiller and don't know anything about Tiller, they won't know about the new improvements. So they're going to come for the first time and see all the new stuff. But for people that already know Tiller, tell us what's been going on lately, because this is some exciting stuff. Yeah, Tiller continues to grow. We've had an awesome year so far. The team has grown. 
As I mentioned, we just released an incredible new budget spreadsheet that's the most advanced budgeting template out there. If you really want a template that's going to give you uh, the full capabilities of a rollover envelope budget that allows you to set savings goals for certain categories and, and give you flexibility, like really like no other tool out there is going to offer, our new budget's awesome. Prior to that, we released this get out of debt template, which helps you track your debts and use the snowball method to pay those down and track it. And so in the works right now, if you step back and look at the big picture, about one in five households in the U.S. is using a spreadsheet to manage their finances. Uh, some of those are using it every day. Some of those are using it a few times a year. They're, they're, the ways they use it are different. And that's honestly the magic of a spreadsheet. If you look at the one in five uh, households who are using a spreadsheet today, our goal is, of course, make spreadsheets easier, serve those one in five, but also grow that market because spreadsheets are just an awesome way to, to track your finances. But we've also realized that many of those folks prefer Excel. And our goal isn't to force a platform onto anyone. We want to meet people where they're at. So we've launched with Google Sheets. We've had great success with Google Sheets. And now we're adding support for Excel. If you're interested, you can sign up on our website to be part of the beta. And it will be commercial shortly this year. Awesome. I'm going to ask you more about that in a second. Great. But let's talk about these two improvements for a second. On the budget sheets, one thing I like about the budget sheet is that I can make it either as complicated as I want, which you displayed on our on our Facebook Live a little bit, or you can kind of dumb it down. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. You know, we really want to meet people where they're at. One of the areas where you have complete control is categories. We have some customers who use as few as two categories and just have a living and a discretionary category and that's it. And other categories, other customers who build out endless categories and have dozens and dozens of categories. So you, you set your categories and then you can also define how you want your rollovers to work. You could say, you know, our eating out, if we have any left, we want to roll that over into eating out. But if we have money left from groceries, I actually want to put that into our travel savings because uh, we won't need it the next month for groceries. And so we we really give people control if they want to do rollovers and how they do that. And we've also built some shortcuts in there that make it really easy to either categorize manually or to auto-categorize, and also some keyboard shortcuts that make it really easy to control the rollovers and control the budgets. And so power users, as they get into it, will find themselves smiling at some of the features that, that automate it and make it easier. But if you're a first-time budgeter, you'll find that the tiller budget's a great home for you too. It's funny because you talked about eating out maybe rolls over to more eating out the next year and groceries goes to travel. <laughs> or the next month. Well, I actually yeah. like the other one. You know, a lot of people give themselves carrots to not eat out as often, right? Not sure. eat at restaurants <laughs> as often. So if for every dollar I don't spend on eating out, I like putting that in the travel fund because then I go, hey, ah. you know what? I get to spend it on fun later at wherever I'm going with the family. Absolutely. No. And that can be a great incentive to, to decide, you know what, I'm going to bring lunch today rather than eating out lunch. Great point. I like the idea too, in the tiller sheets, and I want to shine a light on this for a second, that if you're over several months in a row on a budget area, it's very easy to see with tiller like that, hey, you're kind of missing the mark here in this one area. Maybe you need to revisit that area of the spreadsheet. That's right. The budget has graphical representation. So you can see how you're Budgets are at the category level, and you can see the top line also income and spending for the period as well, too. And it's funny because there's people, you know, that like to track their expenses, people that like to budget, and Tiller's good for both of those groups. Yeah, you know, we found, honestly, we have more people tracking their spending than we do budgeting. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who, 
They want to know, maybe they want to track medical and charitable expenses, or maybe they want to track everything and just know how much, how much are we spending this month, but they don't really want to live in a budget, um, or they want to track work-related expenses. And a spreadsheet's a really powerful way to do that. It's not just for budgeters. We have a template that has some tracking reports, but honestly, if you've ever used a filter or built a chart or pivot table, you could certainly customize and do whatever you want. And people hear spreadsheets, and you know as well as I do, Peter, that some people go, oh, that sounds complicated. But you can set up rules where if it's a grocery, if it's an expense, let's say you go down to the local Albertsons to get your groceries, every time Albertsons hits your spreadsheet, it automatically categorizes it for you and actually makes it easier. Exactly. You can. And it's interesting how many people, the customer feedback we get, how many people, the word they use to describe Tiller is simple and easy, which is words that you don't typically hear (laughs) when people talk around spreadsheets. I I kid you not. And I'll say, if you have an allergic reaction to spreadsheets, Tiller's probably not for you. But if you find it valuable to be able to wrap your hands around the data and do things your way, Tiller's going to give you that infinite flexibility. And when you open up your transaction sheet, you're going to see your descriptions, dates, and amounts. And if I bought coffee yesterday, I'm going to see that transaction in my spreadsheet today, as well as everything else I spent yesterday. And at the simplest level, you look at that transaction sheet, which is what we're feeding every day with all your transactions. And it's a really easy way to stay current with what's happening in all of your accounts. What's exciting for me, especially, is like if if I'm using an app and I don't like the way something is in the app, I have to write to the developer, I have to write to somebody else, and I have to hope that they change the app or I have to switch apps. Yes. With with Tiller, I just go, I'm just going to redo this piece of the spreadsheet so it matches what I like to do. So you customize it however the hell you want. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Build it the way you want it. And I would say that beyond budgeting, tracking net worth, we have customers who they're just using Tiller to plan a wedding. They have an account they're using to pay for the wedding. They share their Google sheet with their fiance and they know how much they have to spend. And they're just using it for that. Or we have an increasing number of customers who are using Tiller to manage a side business. They have an Etsy shop or they are an Uber driver or they have their own consulting practice and they want to know what are, they want to track their work-related expenses, track their income. It's all there in a spreadsheet. So the number of ways people use Tiller is really endless. And it's not just about, again, to the point earlier, it's really transcends budgeting to any kind of way you want it, any kind of financial information you want to track, Tiller can be of help. On that note, Peter, you mentioned uh, on our Facebook Live that you use it uh, to help your mom with her money, look over her shoulders. not even your money. You're using a different account to help her with hers. That's right. The nature of Google Sheets are incredibly collaborative, so you can share your sheet with an accountant, with a spouse. But also, in this case, my mom signed up and she shared her sheet with me. And so I can go in and look at things. She, she wanted a second set of eyes, and it's an easy way. We're, we don't live in the same town. We can hop on the phone. We can look through the sheet. I can ask her, hey, have you thought about checking on that insurance bill? I wonder if you could bring that down. Or she might have a question And it's a great way to have a conversation. And she appreciates the fact that we can talk about finances and be looking at the same data. Our mom lives right upstairs and uh, she doesn't let us look at anything. She (laughs) constantly asks about uh, when she's getting the rent check. So yes, otherwise keeps you locked in the basement. (laughs) That's it. Uh, uh, She was very nice to me when I came though. She offered me those cookies. I tell you are amazing. (laughs) Not incredible. She's, she is, uh, loves it when people like her baked goods, but improvements. With all these improvements that you guys have made to Tiller, has the price changed? The price has not changed. Tiller is $59 a year. 
and I'll touch on that too. Our business model is it's a subscription model and that's how we make our money. We make our money from the people we're serving. Uh, you know, there's a famous saying out there, if you're not paying, then you're the content, not the customer. And we really wanted our users to be our customers. We don't sell our customers data. We don't deliver ads based on their data. We don't, we don't deliver ads, period. We actually have built our operations so that we don't even see our customers' transactions and balances. The humans inside Tiller, we don't, we don't want to see what data is going through our customers' accounts. And we certainly don't want their data to be used to sell them anything else. So it's a simple model. It's a subscription fee. It's a 30-day trial. So if you're listening and you're interested, you can give it a try, 30 days, see what you like. Even if you sign up past that 30 days in the first quarter, if you're not happy and it's not helping you achieve the goals you set out to do, we have a full money-back guarantee. I hope everybody listening can tell why we uh, wanted uh, to have Tiller as a partner. And um, you'll hear about them a lot on our other show, Money in the Morning. But if you want to use our affiliate link to get Tiller, it's stackybenjamins.com forward slash Tiller. And then Peter and the team gives us a thank you. You can also go directly to TillerHQ.com. And that's where they go to get on the list if they use Excel, Peter. Yep. Follow that link that Joe just gave you. And you'll see on our website in the footer is information about Excel, and you can sign up and add your name to the waiting list there. And if you're walking the dog or out on your run or whatever you might be doing on your commute, we've got you covered. We'll have those links on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Man, Peter, I'm so excited to see all the great stuff you guys are doing. Thanks for hanging out with us for a few. Joe, thank you. One more note I'll say is that if you have any questions, if you're listening, we have a great support team. You'll find our chat icon in the lower right corner of our website, or you can email support at TillerHQ anytime, and we'll get right back to you. And Joe, it's it's awesome. Thanks for having me here. It's great to see you again, and uh, it's fun to, to share Tiller again with your fans. Hey there, Trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and as I'm sure you all have marked on your calendar... Today is Alexander the Great's birthday. Not only am I wearing a t-shirt with his picture on it, like everybody else, but just like the Great Conqueror when he rode triumphantly into a new region and was taken over, I've been busy walking around the neighborhood, winning the hearts and minds of every man, woman, and child. It's all about knocking on doors and kissing some babies, people. Huh. Wonder if his neighbors also called out adoring things like, Hey, freak, get off my lawn. Uh, well, we all know the unsaid message, though, which is that they want me in their homes. Well, maybe I'll head back out in a moment, but let's handle this serious trivia job first. How old was Alexander the Great when he gained the throne from his father, Philip II? We'll have your answer in just a moment after I wash off some of this pepper spray. It's not as tasty as it is on my chicken. Yeah, maybe Doug, once again, not getting the message that he should have been getting from that. But we backstage, Dana, we explain the game. So you got the very complicated rules we have here. Yes, Price is Right style. You can't go over. Closest Amen. without going over. Got it. Amen, sister. And you're playing on behalf of Len. Len has one. OG has two with his big victory last week. And Paula has two. So playing as Len then, Dana, do you want to go first in the middle or last? Last. All right. And Paula won furthest ago. Uh, how do you say that correctly? Furthest ago is probably not the furthest um, ago. No, you got lo- it. The longest, longest ago, ago, maybe. Uh, most the far away ago. For, for the, uh, at furthest the most distant now? point in history. Yes. Right. <laughs> so do you want to go first or in the middle? 
I will go in the middle. All right. And that means, OG, you're going first. So okay. Philip II, when did Alexander take over the throne? How old was he? Hmm. So this was uh, circa what? Um, this is the part, Dana, where he pretends about, he's thinking. Uh, f- <laughs> what about 40 BC? Is this about when this happened? I can't remember my ancient Mesopotamian history that well. However, I'm swinging at a low pitch here. I am saying that Alexander was 16 when he ascended the throne. 16, Paula? Actually, I think the answer is different than that, but I'm playing the game, and I think 16 is the winning number. (laughs) Oh, some strategery. Yep. Yeah. What's difficult is that when you ask the question, the first number that popped in my head was 15, because for some reason- it was, it was, you know, that was, that was actually the number that popped into my head. Um, well, you gotta I, be, you gotta I feel be, like this guy must've been like 28 when he conquered the world. So he had to be significantly younger than that when he first took over the throne. Right. So closest without going over, I'm going to even go a little bit further down and say lucky 13. Give yourself a couple of years. So when it yeah. turns out to be 15, unless Dana comes with 15 next, it, it, you got three of them. Dana, where are you wow. going to What are you going to do? I thought I was betting young, and now I hear their answers. I, the first number that popped into my head was 24. Now, I realize now that that seems like ancient. That's middle age compared to 15. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go with it. That's what popped into my head. I'll go with 24. All right. Well, uh, we'll give everybody at home a chance to deliberate right now. Well, thanks to Away for supporting Stacking Benjamins. By the way, if you don't have an Away suitcase, I'm not sure what you're waiting for, but you'll get there soon enough. Away makes affordable, high-quality suitcases that also charge your phone. And by cutting out the middleman, Away can offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. And I have to tell you, when I talk about high-quality materials, this thing is an absolute joy. It's so incredible to travel with. It comes in over 10 colors and five sizes. I chose baby blue, not because it's my favorite color, but because I want to get the heck out of the airport so I know exactly which bag is mine as it comes down the conveyor belt. But the five sizes, they have the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the kids' carry-on, plus the medium bag and the large bag. Away's design, the perfect suitcase to make your travel experience stress-free. The carry-on bags have two USB ports and a high-capacity battery. And I love that the battery is right underneath the handle. So let's say I'm gonna check the bag. You know you can't have the battery in the bag when it's checked away press down on the battery and it comes right out and it's about the size of your hand. It's simple. Then you put that into your bag that you're carrying on with you and you've got the best of both worlds. So you can charge multiple devices on the go, like your phone, tablet, laptop, whatever. And you never have to worry about a dead phone or you have to fight for the three outlets that are at the airport. By the way, have you seen that YouTube video of the dude that put a sticker on one of the pillars at the terminal? And the sticker looked like an outlet, and person after person went and tried to plug in. It's it's pretty dumb and funny. But you don't have to play that game. It's theft-proof, USA-approved combination lock. is built in to keep your belongings safe. And you get a smooth ride in any direction. Four 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break like mine did on my last bag. 
It's super durable, but it's lightweight, so it has the hard sides. Made a premium impact-resistant German polycarbonate. I don't know what impact-resistant German polycarbonate means, but I do know that this baby's tough. You have a risk-free 100-day trial period, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, Away's going to fix or replace it for life. If at any point you decide it's not for you during that risk-free 100-day trial period, guess what? You can return it for a full refund, no questions asked. But I think you can take my word for it on this one. We're so happy that they're supporting Stacking Benjamins. And get this, you'll get free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states and... Just for our Stacky Benjamins family, you're going to get $20 off your suitcase. So go to awaytravel.com slash SB. Use promo code SB at checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash SB, promo code SB. I'm also excited, like I am every Friday, to talk about Magnify Money because Magnify Money is the place to go when you want to save $450 or more on those banking products you use every single day. It's funny, we've been talking about Magnify Money a lot lately because as interest rates go up, we're finding the difference between brick and mortar bank interest rates, whether it's on loans or on online lending products, or it's on your checking account or savings account, we're finding that wide gulf become even wider. And so your opportunities even better. It's a great time to head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money and find out if that checking account you're using is as good as you think it is. That savings account is what the best deals are on credit card reward cards. If you pay your loans off every single month, you pay your credit cards off every single month. Why not play the reward point game? Or if you're trying to get the man off your back when it comes to interest, consolidate those loans either into a consolidation loan or a 0% interest rate credit card. Whatever it is, Magnify Money has over 92% of the products that are available on the internet. How do you reach it? StackyBedjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money to compare, ditch, switch, and save on all of your banking related products. Okay, dog, here's what we've got. Paula says 13. OG says 16. Dana has the old man at 24. What is it? Hey there, cash freaks. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, and apparently my message of love and kindness is getting through because in the last four minutes, not one or two, but three different neighbors have called Joe's mom requesting that I don't come over. That must mean they're already on board with my Alexander the Great-like Hearts and Minds winning campaign. Well, that frees up more time for me to answer today's trivia question, which was this. How old was Alexander the Great when he gained the throne from his father, Philip II? The answer? Alexander assumed the throne at a then very mature seeming 20 years old. You and I know what that means, don't we? Don't we? Uh, oh, yeah, Alexander was 20 when he took over, and I'm only slightly older than that. It sounds like the universe is calling my number, baby. What are we waiting for? Viva la vita, carpe diem, bony chance. See ya. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> I was going to say 19, but then I thought it might have been 6 or 17. So ruling the world 16. at 20. Yeah. The great How question though. Talk about the fire movement right there. Yeah, he took right? over the world at 20. Yeah. But when did he die? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I do. 
So here's the bad news for, I kind of stacked the deck here. I did a project on Alexander oh. the Great when I was like in eighth grade. So I kind of had this in the back of my mind, but he died in his early thirties, like when he was like 32 or 33. So um, he was not a ruler very long. Which Dana brings up the importance of estate planning. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder how his, uh, his power of attorney for financial decisions was laid out. I would have loved it, Paul, if it was 15. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Bam. Great stuff. And uh, once again, something that you can all take now to the water cooler and amaze your friends with that one. Actually, you'll amaze your friends with the fact that OG actually did a project in eighth grade. I'm sure <laughs> you want to know that. Oh, oh, oh. Very studious. Looks like somebody needs help, guys. All three of those O's sponsored by Bloom. Smart, simple 401k management. If you've got a 401k, I'm sure you remember how frustrating it was deciding what to invest in without professional help. Well, now there's a better way to grow your 401k. Bloom with three O's is a simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401. The pricing's $10 a month, regardless of account size. They link to your existing 401k, so you don't move your money. They're completely independent advisor, so you know you're getting unbiased expert investment advice. Bloom researches, invests, manages, monitors, and grows your 401 while you relax. It only takes five minutes, and then your retirement is set until you cancel. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part is remembering there are three O's. I've been doing this wrong. The hardest part's remembering, OG, there's three O's in Bloom. Go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom. You are so not Lempenzo. And enter promo code Blue, SB <laughs> for, for, for your first month free and see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement. Thanks to Bloom, by the way, not only for this, but for sponsoring our live shows coming up in the fall. We'll be in Kansas City, Detroit, and Orlando. We'll have more on that as we get closer. But today we're going to throw out the Bloom helpline to Adam. Say hi, Adam. Hey guys, Adam here. I have a fun hypothetical for you today to squabble about. Brief background, my wife and I are hoping to be first-time homebuyers in the next year. We have 5% of our goal home value saved up already and reasonably plan to get to 20% by the time we buy. We aggressively paid off all our student loan debt in the last year and will put that extra income towards the house down payment. We have no student or consumer debt and stable professional careers for the foreseeable future. We have an emergency fund and both contribute to retirement accounts through work. Here's the hypothetical. If that inevitable market correction comes in the next year before we buy our house, what do you think about taking 25 to 50% of that down payment we saved up and putting it into the market? This would leave us with a 10 to 15% down payment or just possibly delaying our home purchase. I'm hoping you guys can each defend a side on this one for the sake of entertainment. I played this out in my head and generally am very conservative in my decision making, but I love a good what if. Thanks and keep on keeping on. I love how our listeners just want to hear us fight. Like he doesn't care what our real opinion is. Could you guys take different sides and just fight it out? So Dana, you're the guest. Would you rather take the side you believe or would you rather <laughs> lie about the you other know, side? I could fight it out among myself. I've actually done what he described. So I totally get why he would ask the question. And it was a really bad idea. Oh, what did I, you I do? Was, Tell me. Well, so at the bottom of the market, 2008, 2009, I actually borrowed money, I believe, on a credit card. I don't even remember. And thought, well, this is a perfect time to put it in the market. Yes. I did exactly what I would never, ever, ever tell my clients to do. 
the problem is when it's your own money, your emotions go crazy and you never hit the bottom just right. I mean, it's impossible. So you, you put the money in, you watch it go down some more, you freak out. I didn't lose money on it, but it was just a really bad, bad idea. The stress level was crazy. I mean, ugh, I would tell no one to do that. You had to do it for scientific purposes. You had to test your theory so that you had real life experience for advice for clients. I love it. Yeah. That's how I invested in Bitcoin last year because <laughs> everybody was talking about it. No, seriously, everybody was talking about it. And I'm like, well, screw it. I'll put a thousand bucks in this. I don't know. Maybe it goes to 4 million or whatever the guy said it's going to be at. And it went from like 10,000 to 20,000. And like, seriously, you can track that stuff like second by second, 24 hours a day. And I was totally freaking out the entire time. Like, oh, it's up to 2,000. Oh my gosh, it's down to 1,900. Oh, it's down to 1,800, but I should get out. And like you, Dana, I didn't lose money doing it, but oh my goodness, that was a really rough December for the OG family as I was refreshing Coinbase every nanosecond to <laughs> diversify my portfolio between Bitcoin and Litecoin and Ethereum. I was like, this is nuts. But were you were you actually getting that emotional over such a small amount of money? Because what yes. I found is that so six hundred dollars into Bitcoin just because I don't know I like figured I could go blow it on drinks or I could put it on Bitcoin. Same thing either way. Party with and, you if you're spending six hundred bucks on drinks. This sounds like <laughs> uh, and then I like put six hundred dollars in Bitcoin and promptly forgot about it. Then like a few weeks ago, remembered like, hey, wait a second, don't I have an account with Coinbase? And I logged in and I've lost like $200 thing. So I think it's like worth 400 now. But because it's such an, an insignificant amount of money, I just don't care. But you this know, is, if, but, but this if is, I had put 10 grand in it, that would be different. But this I may is, have underestimated the amount of money I put in. <laughs> <laughs> For educational purposes only, of course. Did we just talk about lying to your readers? Did we just do this whole, <laughs> we, do we just have that talk? I'm, I'm not sure. But seriously, this is why this is a discussion you're having that these investing games don't work. I don't think they teach you anything because what you do without any money is completely different, Dana, than what you do when you've got skin in the game. Yeah, it's gambling. It, you know, there is a huge difference between gambling and speculating and putting together a plan for the long term. And particularly with this reader's question, you know, if he puts at least 20% down on his house, he can avoid mortgage insurance. Granted, there's other ways to do that. He could, you know, finance it with a second mortgage too. But now his payment's going to be higher. I mean, just when you look at the big picture, it's more secure to say, no, let's put the money down. I mean, how much are you really going to make, even if you did catch the bottom? Well, he's saying, do I put it in the market so that I have a bigger down payment, right? Well, he was saying, if there's a market correction, yeah. should I put less down on the house and instead put it in the market? Yeah. I mean, how are you going to time that just right? And even if you could, I don't think the gains are worth the emotional turmoil that OG and I went through. <laughs> what, yeah. What happens if the house purchase is coming and you say, you know what, the market's down 21%. I've got 50 grand that I was going to put on my house down payment. To heck with that. I'm dumping it in the market. And now the market goes down 30 more percent. So now you have. 35 grand, 30 grand left in your account. Do you really want to wait another two years for that 30 to turn back into 50? And then you just broke even on the deal. Like that whole grand experiment of I'm going to buy low so I can arbitrage the market fluctuation. I'm with you when it's your own money. It's like a whole different world. That's why when I tell people 
that they can't tolerate the volatility that they think they can. And they say, oh, no, no, no. In 2008 and 2009, I stayed the course. I go, yeah, you had like 40 grand. It's easy to stay the course when you got 40 grand. You go, well, it's down to 20. To your point, Paula, like Mm -hmm. Bitcoin went from 600 to 400, eh, whatever. You know, tell me you're going to watch your account go from 2 million to freaking 1.1 and go, yeah, another day. Another day down 40%. Ugh, whatever. Should I put some more in? No, you're going to freak out. You just lost $800,000 in the span of six months. You're not going to stay the course. Don't lie to yourself. Well, so one thing, though, that he could do imagine if he put 20% down on his house rather than 25% or 30 He put 20% down on the house, and whatever was left over was the amount that he put in the market if there's a correction. I think that would be reasonable because that would be no different than setting a goal of making a 20% down payment and then having extra money to spare afterwards. So get to the down payment and then- Yeah, just start investing. You've reached your goal. Off we go to the next one. Yeah, it's it's not necessary to have a 25% or 30% down payment. I mean, that's nice if your goal is to pay off your mortgage early or blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's nice, but it's not necessary. 20% is reasonable. And then if after that you wanted to take the remainder and put it into the market, if there's a correction, cool, then you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, but, you know, my thoughts are that shouldn't be dependent on whether there's a correction or not. I love the idea. Yeah, you know, you don't need to put more than 20% down. Let's invest the rest, but let's have a plan to invest it, whether there's a market correction or not. What if there's Mm -hmm. not? Or what if you missed it? What if the timing of the correction didn't happen when you had that excess money? So let's put together a plan to invest it, not just let that be dependent on something outside of our control. So just because he wants an argument, how about this? Why doesn't he just do like 5% down or 10, then open a margin account (laughs) (laughs) and and buy long S&P calls when the market (laughs) is down on, you know, you can get those leaps. They're like two year leaps, right? So you just, so you take your other 10% that you're going to put down and buy a whole bunch of long range uh, index options, maybe even VIX options, if it's really volatile, you could bet like a 2x. All right. Either that, either that, or just take it and put it all on black. Just like fly to Vegas, invest in a ticket, put it, go visit Paula and put it all on black. Because Paula, you'd want to watch that, wouldn't you? While the whole down payment's sitting on the roulette wheel. All right. Here's here's what he does. Moves to Cambodia, lives in the back of his car. (laughs) Gets his cost of living down to $700 a month, then takes the rest, puts it on VIX. Right. And then, (laughs) and then becomes a fire blogger and talks about how rich he is (laughs) because it all worked out. It's perfect. No, that's great. Uh, Dana, you look like you were going to say something else. I was just listening to all that options and margin talk. It reminded me of being at Merrill in the (laughs) nineties. Well, well, you know, what's funny on that point, Dana, it's funny because it reminded me there's this, one of my favorite books on investing is called trading rules. And it was written by a Chicago commodities trader. This guy that does something riskier than most anybody listening to the show probably does. I bet 99% of the people don't do anything nearly as risky as what he does. And one of his very first rules are, do not use words like when the correction comes, because that assumes that you have any forward knowledge at all. And the second you give that up, you become a much, much better trader. Either buy it because you like it today or don't buy it. 
period. You've no idea how little you are and how big this is and how random it's going to be. And I love that. Just take that off the table, have a strategy, which means Dana with your clients, you were out buying stuff on credit cards for you, but with your clients, you're holding the line, I would imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. I would never, ever, ever have invested a client's money the way I used to invest my own. And I use those words because now my money goes into the exact same portfolios, the exact same strategies. It doesn't make sense for me to waste time and energy doing it any other way. Under what conditions would you tell a client to go ahead and invest more in 2007, 2008? Well, we had people that that had cash come in from the sale of something, one person from a big inheritance. And so that money got dollar cost averaged into the market as it would have anyway. So the plan wasn't dependent upon where the market is. Maybe the timing of how it got invested changed because things were so volatile, but the money went where we had allocated it to go anyway. That's absolute crazy talk, Dana. I can't, I can't, I can't believe that. Sounds that sounds like sound financial advice. What the heck? <laughs> the heck is What's that? that? Wait a second. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you got this site sensible money or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Paula, did you buy any houses during the 2007, 2008? No, the first house that I bought was 2011, I believe. Okay. Might have been end of 2010, beginning of 2011. That was the first first home ever. Dana, you bought a house 2007, 2008. Yes, I did. January 2007. It's still worth less than what I paid for it. Oh, man. Yeah, I I tried to sell my house in 2007, and it was right as as the Lehman Brothers thing had just happened, and prices are falling, and actually Delphi had gone bankrupt, and my house was in the suburbs of Detroit, and so that's when I became a landlord. So now, so now you have a rental property. <laughs> yes, that's why I had a rental property is because selling a house in that environment wasn't a great idea. Uh, thanks for the question, Adam. Guys, thanks for playing along with that, even though we didn't uh, fight the way that he wanted us to, but we still had a great discussion. Thanks for the question, Adam. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com and on the top of the page, you'll see questions. Click on that link and you'll see all the ways you can interface with us. That's going to do it for today, guys. Let's talk about what's going on where you live. And Dana, we're going to give you the last word. So let's start off with OG. OG, what's happening with you, man? Oh, big stuff here in the uh, this half of the basement. A uh, little bit of travel, a little bit of uh, family vacation. I got my uh, after-school activity that I'm working on this upcoming weekend. And then since I'm not invited to the cool thing in um, Pennsylvania here in a couple of days, I might crash it. Don't know. We'll see. Awesome. And by the way, speaking of that, we're having a meetup with the guys from Choose FI. Head to our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamin. So we're going to have a lot of friends there. Andrew Wang from inspired money is going to be there. We'll have uh, Gwen Mertz from the fire drill podcast. will be there. Eric Rosenberg from personal profitability will be there. Uh, Rich Jones from paychecks and balances will be there. Paula, why don't you go to podcast movement? Oh, is that where the, I was like, why haven't I gotten invited to this thing? Ah, M- I mean, you guys are just randomly having a meet. What are you flying out to Virginia for this? Oh, crap. We said this in front of Paula. We forgot. <laughs> yeah. We forgot we weren't inviting her. It's so bad. But come on. It's all the podcasters going to the podcast big Philly thing. Uh, you know, I so I just came back from the World Domination Summit. And um, uh, later in August, I'm going to be going to... Camp FI, which is a specifically an, an FI meetup. And then in October, I'm going to FinCon. So that's three events this year. And three is pretty much my limit. 
whatever. I'm going to take it personally. <laughs> I prefer to do it that way. What's happening at Afford Anything, either the blog or the podcast or both? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have recently aired an interview with Kim Ehart. She is just an ordinary person who's doing it well. And I wanted to showcase a regular person. She's a firefighter, makes a firefighter salary and is actually like doing a really excellent job of managing her money. So she walks through what that looks like. And coming up very soon, we are going to have an interview with Stephen Wendell from Morningstar, where he talks about research into retirement. So if you want if you want a regular person show, listen to the Kim Ehart interview. And if you want an academic show about like the nuances of retirement planning, listen to the upcoming Stephen Wendell interview. But he's a funny guy, though. Yeah, he is. He's very engaging. Yes, yes. He is. He is very much my, my kind of uh, pro because he's very funny. Dana, thanks for hanging out with us again. We're so happy you actually came back. Been so much fun. <laughs> What's happening at sensiblemoney.com? Well, I have a, a class that I teach online about every other month. The next one is August the 9th called Best Retirement Investments. They are free. They run about an hour and a half. So anyone who is closer to retirement, that's who it would be for. And uh, you can visit sensiblemoney.com to figure out how to register and learn a little bit more about it. And then uh, let's see, at the end of July, I'm headed to St. Louis, where my part of my family is. So I shall be going up in the arch, which we talked about earlier off air. And then uh, out to Virginia. I don't think I'll be there when you guys are there. I'll be there around the end of August for, uh, for uh, a project. Yeah, we're going to be when in Philly, but but Paula is, yeah. is kind of uh, impaired when it comes to directions, apparently. <laughs> or where things are, <laughs> but, we, but we, we will be well, very close to Virginia. Well, I will be in, in Virginia for a project. I don't know that I can actually talk about it yet. So, uh, it's a course, an online course that they're running a test pilot and hopefully I'll, I'll be contracted to teach it. So it's obviously about retirement planning. That's what I do. And, uh, if it works out, I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Well, come back and tell us about it. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. As a note, one at least one of the Choose FI guys lives in Virginia. Yes. So when you said that you were having a meetup with Choose FI, I, I was like, you. Yeah, no, they're in Richmond, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, no, that's funny. But it's still fun to tease you, Paula, just for fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, is someone on the interwebs telling you they're successfully retired, but they're still working full-time? I know your mom taught you already that things may not be what they first seem online, but also realize that people on the internet are cheerleaders for a lifestyle, and just because they're still working hard at their online jobs doesn't mean you shouldn't keep looking for your brass ring. Second, have a short-term goal and thinking about putting that money in the market? Better yet, Take it to the casino because your odds of winning aren't much different. It's over the long term that investments like stocks can more reliably make a difference in your portfolio. But the big lesson? If you're going to canvas your neighborhood to win them over to your cause, maybe bring along some of Joe's mom's apple pie. For some reason, if I got an apple pie in my hand, people open the door. Otherwise, I think they're just blinded by my charm and rugged good looks and they just they can't even bear to look at me. Special thanks to Dana Onspa for stopping by. You'll find her at sensiblemoney.com or check out all of our links to Dana's social media and her site on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. 
Plus, thanks to Peter Polson from Tiller for stopping by. Looking for a better spreadsheet option for your money? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Tiller for details and to check out all the changes Peter described today. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. All right, we have to say a very public congratulations to Paula Pant for a very sweet job at the World Domination Summit. We hear you dominated the World Domination Summit, Paula. I did, dude. I dominated the World Domination Summit. So I have never been more prepared for a speech than I was for that one. So I, uh, Chris Gillibo, the founder of the World Domination Summit, invited me to give a keynote speech. And I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail this. I'm going to do it. By the way, so- just as an aside... How cool mm-hmm. was it to even get that email or that call or that offer, whatever it was? It was incredible. So I wrote about this on Instagram, where you can find me at Paula Pant. So on Instagram, I wrote about this. The nice plug, right? Yeah. Where six years ago, I tried to get a ticket to the World Domination Summit, and I couldn't get a ticket. And and back then, I wasn't making very much money. I had to like, for you know weeks in advance, I had to save up enough money to be able to even buy the ticket, you know, put aside the money to be able to go to the conference. And then the ticket sold out immediately. And so I couldn't get a ticket anyway. And I was super bummed because I couldn't go. Fast forward six years and I'm there as the keynote speaker. So that's the difference that six years can make. That's Uh, so cool. Yeah. uh, Aspiring attendee to keynote speaker in six years. I thought you were going to say you're defiant. Try to keep me out. I'm going to keynote this baby one day. (laughs) Tell you right now. Yeah. But let's talk about, because all of us have done speeches before, and I thought a a great uh, topic here today is like how you, maybe some speaking tips or speech stories that you have. And Paul, I guess we'll stick with you for a second longer. Did you have any nerves at all getting up in front of this huge butt audience? And if so, how did you handle it? 
I've got two tips, Joe. Number one, rehearse the fuck out of it. <laughs> so what I did for the eight days prior to when I flew out there is I drove to Yosemite, went camping by myself, and every night I built a campfire and every night I would deliver the speech, an impassioned speech, to a campfire. Anybody walking by my site would have thought I was nuts. I was standing there like, <laughs> like just passionately delivering this speech to flames and logs and coals, living on a steady diet of s'mores and apples. Um, that's what I did. I, I went out on a solo camping trip so that I could remove myself from distractions so that I could practice a speech. And so I knew it really well. I can recite the entire thing. It's a 25-minute speech. I can recite it verbatim. Because that's what a speech is, is fundamentally you are the playwright who like writes the script, then casts themselves in it, and then memorizes the monologue and then delivers it on stage. You are the playwright and the director and the actor. And so, yeah, so tip number one is rehearse the f*** out of it. And then tip number two is wear combat boots. Which is way better than tip one. Because <laughs> I don't want to prepare for anything, but I can certainly throw on a pair of boots. And the reason for that is because if you are standing strong on stage, if if in your feet you feel firm and grounded and you just you have that strong connection with the floor, quite literally, you're grounded. And it's from that root, from the the strength in your footing that all of the the rest of the energy flows. That's why I think wearing really solid, comfortable footwear is important. And I I would just recommend combat boots because you can't get any more solid or comfortable than that. Uh, uh, Dana, I'm sure you've given some big speeches, I'm sure. I have. Yeah, I don't have any preparation stories as good as Paula's. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. Although I do agree, you have to prepare the f out of it. <laughs> so I practice in my office. I walk around talking. And I have a window in my office so my staff can see me walking around by myself, blah, 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 blah. But you you do. You have to practice. You have to know your material. Um, you also have to know your audience. So there are some presentations where you can ad lib a little more. So you might not be rehearsing the script, but you still have to know your material, know your points, know what's coming next. I love the uh, the shoe comment. I wore a pair of Nike wedge sneakers once. Now, that may sound a little odd, but they're kind of girly. They have snake skin on them and like silver tassels and, you know, sexy underwear helps too. I mean, maybe that might oh, work for me, but that's OGs. That's OGs. Number one, you just stole. <laughs> I was going to say, that's one. what I do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anything that makes you laugh and makes you feel good helps. But do you, but, 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 but do you get nerves? And if so, when you're on stage, how do you kind of get through the nerves? I get nerves. Absolutely. The worst was I was doing live TV once and it's the first time I'd ever done it. And they are counting down. I'm sitting on the chair next to the person that's going to interview me. They're counting down and I'm, you can look at the screen and you see the numbers go three, two. And I thought when it hits one, I'm going to fall off the chair and pass out. I, I swore that was what's going to happen. And somehow I just took a deep breath and I had practiced and practiced and I, I knew what the questions were and, and it worked, that's but my heart was pounding. I was going to say, that's where your preparation takes over. It does. Yeah. Oh, gee, how about you? You have some of that Woodford Reserve or whatever you talk about beforehand? Well, as uh, <laughs> as somebody who used to uh, wear combat boots occasionally in a prior life, I can assure you they are neither comfortable. Uh, they are firm, but um, gosh, I, I have all sorts of pairs if you want to have them, Paula. I'm <laughs> uh, just, just terrible memories. It's funny that, uh, that everybody's talking about preparation because 
kind of inside baseball, Joe and I, we started this show a long time ago. And one of the things you used to do, right, would be to send me all the stuff for the show. Dana, like you said, uh, sometimes some stuff's not as important to kind of know cold. And it sounded so bad coming as if I already knew it was coming. And so for me, because I'm such a high quick start, it's better for me to kind of just stay in my, you know, in the area of things that I kind of think I know something about. And Joe to totally just go, hey, guess what we're talking about today? Here's the article that comes out more naturally, I think, to people than if I were to have like spent a whole bunch of time, like making a ton of notes. Oh, uh, gee. That would OG, come out a ton, ton more can. Yeah. OG, very seriously, is the only person I know who the more he preps, the worse he gets. <laughs> and, 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 and giving that advice to anybody but him is absolutely horrible advice because. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's true though, right? I mean, true. like, like for client meetings, obviously I'm prepared, but, but like this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he's you know. he's the I because I go the other way too, where preparation is so important. And sometimes preparation has led me to become kind of cocky about how great I've prepared. And I had some of these speeches down cold and I was a smart financial planner. So I'm in front of this group of people one night giving what we used to call the rubber chicken dinner speech, where everybody's Dana, you might be familiar with these with the Merrill Lynch background, right? Uh, invite a bunch of people over, they yeah. eat chicken, it's a different place, and you're sitting there giving them the dog and pony show while they're eating and hopefully getting as many people to sign up as possible to work with the advisors in the room. So advisors would hire me to speak for them. This particular night, the advisors that hired me made the mistake of allowing the audience to have alcohol. And usually, usually I'm there early enough to step in, but at that time my twins were really young and I got there late. And people are already on their second beer. And then we'd have them eaten toward the end of dinner is when we'd start talking. So people are a little hammered when I start. So I start saying stuff and attendees are throwing things out. And I'm talking about- Getting hustled by the crowd. Yeah. I'm talking at one point about something and somebody in the crowd says, well, what about this? And because I was competent, I knew what I was talking about. I kind of batted that away. And that gave me some courage, which by the way- was bad. Stick to the script. Because later on, I'm talking about estate planning and I'm going through how uh, how a trust works, how wills work. And somebody said, well, here's, here's what I just did with my mom to avoid probate. We just took her stuff and we put my name and my brother's name on it with her, which you guys all know is horrible, right? So immediately... I'm feeling really confident. I said, you know, you do not want to put your name and your siblings' names on your on your mom's stuff because of the fact, let's say that your sibling's kid gets in a car wreck, right? And there's a lawsuit. Now, one third of your mom's stuff is subject to this lawsuit because, you know, because they were a bad driver. So there goes a third of her estate that just went bye-bye because you did that. That's number one. Or number two, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going on. Like, let's say that your sister decides to marry somebody, I don't know, like a biker. And I've got these people in leather chaps sitting in the front row right in front of me. And not only are they bikers, who are some awesome people, by the way, some cool people. I'm a biker. I'm a biker, I, by the way. That's number one. Number two, though, Dana, not only were these bikers, these were bikers. I was in Michigan at the time. They every year would go to the demonstration in Lansing at the Capitol 
to fight for more rights for bikers. I get the militant bikers that are very <laughs> the middle of biker culture. Yeah, what, if what if your sister-in-law marries a biker for crying out loud? <laughs> and then that goes horribly. Crickets. Yes. Yeah. And the people, and the second, and, and I could tell immediately that I stepped in it. I, I didn't know the degree uh, of which I'd stepped in it. The second that I finished the speech, the woman sitting right in front of me goes to the person that hired me, like walks up and goes, you need to talk to that guy. And he never needs to speak again. And we're never coming back and we're never working with their company. And she's really angry in front of the whole crowd of like 60 people, like just blowing up about how unprofessional I am, which is totally true. It was totally true. Did you still get your speaking fee? <laughs> Did you still get paid? <laughs> I know. Did I your side hustle still pay off when you I blogged don't. about it later in your fire blog? Did you say, and then I still made, you know, my speaking fee. I don't remember. Just don't speak extemporaneously is I don't. think that unless, unless you're, OG. you're OG, right? Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.